You're listening to Vincenzo Landino on the Brand Boost Podcast, powered by Zoom. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Brand Matters Live. Today, we're talking about a topic that I think is at the top of many people's minds, but we're not going down the political rabbit hole. So for those of you that are seeing the mixing business with political views, let's not go there. Let's keep this on point. Let's keep this on track. And let's keep this about mixing business with politics and vice versa. We have some examples we want to talk about today, and we have uh, some thoughts and uh, opinions from our good friend, Savannah Peterson, who will join us all the way from the Valley, the Silicon Valley, not the Silicon Valley. Like I'm, I say very often, which is pretty awful because it's like, dude, you should know what you're talking about. And sometimes I don't. <laughs> Hi, Savannah. <laughs> hey, Savannah. So Savannah's, Savannah's here joining us at some point. Uh, Rob, how are you today? I'm doing good. Congratulations on the book uh, launch yesterday. I heard it was epic. I saw all the videos and the pictures, and, and I'm so excited for you and Amy. It was pretty epic. Uh, let's get Savannah over here. Let's get some pretty on the screen. Uh, there you go. One wants to see me. What's up, you Savannah? You always bring all the pretty Vincenzo. Thank you it's so That's much. That's what Brian says. That's what Brian Fans always says, who's actually right behind me, for those of you that can't see him. He's, like, right there. So if you see a hand or a head or a Steelers logo bouncing around behind me, uh, Brian fans was in the house along with Rachel Miller and some others came into Columbus, Ohio for the book launch. So don't mind them. We're all working up here diligently, diligently, but Savannah, we're talking about uh, a topic that you and I, and I guess me and Rob and you all have different views, which is really great uh, for this discussion. And it's about mixing business and politics. And I don't want to go down a political route today or a political rabbit hole. I want to really stick to how does, how do brands, how should brands handle, uh, you know, political outrage that's happening right now and how should they respond? And we have a few examples to talk about in the show and uh, we'll kind of uh, just, just chit, chit chat and shoot the, shoot the poo about these topics uh rob which, uh, let's throw let's throw something up on the screen for everyone to look at um there was there was i think it was a tweet or a facebook post from uh ted cornblum uh he is a i believe he's the ceo of a company he said rest easy people it'll only it'll take only 100 days uh, for President Trump to get shot in the head or get a bullet in the head. <clears throat> I'll let that sink in for a second. Some CEO of a company, an amplifier company, musical amplifier company, decided to tweet, it'll only take 100 days for the president, doesn't matter who that president name is, to take a bullet to the head. Now, contrastly, I know that Savannah sa- uh, sent us uh, one from, I think Ted Nugent had said something very similar about president obama so again this is not about who the president is it's just the fact that something like this was even said right and it goes into a deeper conversation i think about how do you and rob we'll start you know with you and then we'll have savannah come on and she can give her viewpoints or maybe i'll I'll pose the question the two of you can kind of talk about this how do you balance your political views from your business because in, in today's day and age your brand is synonymous with who you work for 
regardless of, you know, maybe even putting something in your Twitter bio views are my own, not my employers. Like, right. That, that means right, yeah. nowadays. So, you know, I pose that question to the two of you, something like that gets posted by a CEO of any company, regardless of the size, what on earth would possess someone to do that? Number one. And number two, what would be the protocol that you would tell to anybody? Obviously that is an extreme example, but right. we, been seeing over the past six months plus a lot of really on the fence examples. So what do you guys think? What's your viewpoint? Savannah, Rob, guys go at it. Well, so I'll, I'll take it because I'm on camera, but <clears throat> I think the interesting thing is, and it's Savannah and I had a conversation about this yesterday in terms of just, it, it, you know, it, it's never, it just seems odd. Like there's never been to my recollection, outright discussion about the death of a president, regardless of which side of the aisle they're on. And, you know, we've seen handfuls of it over just the last weekend. You, you know, you, you showed the, um, the, it was named John Cornack or Cornbloom or whatever his name was. Um, you know, that was like kind of the most extreme, but then we had Madonna saying, you know, that she wanted to blow up the white house, just like the dumbest things that, that, why, you know, you may not like Trump or you may not like Obama, but just think of the ramifications of the death of a president of the United States in terms of how that would be of any benefit, even if you despise the person for whatever reason. I mean, think of all the freedoms that we would lose. Look, look, look at what happened. Like, you know, there was a shoe bomber that came in, tried to light his shoe on fire and, and one bomber in an airplane. And now because of that. Every single American that goes through TSA has to take off their shoes just because of that. So now elevate that concept to somebody of the presidency and think how consequential that would be for everybody uh, should something like that happen. So, I mean, I think, you know, it's one thing to disagree with somebody's politics, but to to wish their their death uh, or execution. I mean, that's just it's. It's, it's disturbing and it's just it's, it's something that's very new I think in politics and you know I think the cool thing is is that we now have live streaming to kind of suppress some of the usual and customary voices and you know now everyday folks like you Savannah and I can talk about it but I guess all in before I let Savannah opine is I was reading and doing some research for today's show I was going back and you know I, I guess one of the first kind of solo brands is is considered Michael Jordan, right? Sure. And the article that I was reading, I think this was back in the 90s, was talking about a senatorial race between Jesse Helms and somebody that was running against him. And, Jess, and they wanted to get Michael Jordan involved in the campaign. And he said, I'm not getting involved at all. And his response was, look, Republicans buy sneakers too. And that's kind of true to, you know, it's funny, but I mean, it's like kind of, that's usually been the, the general consensus of brands is, you know, unless it's something that that's unique, uh, historically brands stay out of it. Right. And, but this is a new era. And just this past weekend, we saw Uber get, get enslaved and enslaved in the social media. We saw uh, Starbucks. We saw obviously this megaphone company or amplifier company. Um, Google got involved. It's interesting to see all these people playing in and, you know, what are the ramifications of these corporations throwing their hat in the ring so early when Trump's only been president for what, less than two weeks. 
you know, do, do you do you lay all your your cards out on the table this early? So Bob, take me off the screen for a moment. Yeah, Savannah. Yeah, so Savannah, I'll bring you on, and uh, you can opine. <laughs> Yes, well, thank you, and thank you both again for having me today. Absolutely. Just for everyone's background, and I'm not actually sure either of you know this about me, but I've actually been fired for making political statements on Twitter before. Uh, When I was working in Austin, I made fun of Rick Perry for not knowing what Twitter was called. I called it Twitter. And and I actually, I, I, I... I tweeted this without real malice. I was more just kind of poking fun. And uh, I I was called in, reprimanded, and terminated a few days later for for having a political opinion and sharing that on the internet. Obviously, you both know me well enough to know that didn't exactly stop me from having an opinion or being on the internet. So here we are in, in kind of this very interesting political climate. And I think one of the things that's always great about when the three of us dialogue is there's always a lot that we agree on that I don't think people realize because we come from two very different political camps historically. So I think fundamentally, everyone should stand up for human rights, period. I mean, we are entitled to a certain fundamental basic needs as citizens of this country, in my opinion, and, and of this earth, quite frankly. And my life is my life. Your life is your life. You are very much entitled to that. I support your ability to choose whatever you want to do with that. And I think it's really childish and and horrifically inappropriate when we slang death threats over social media. In doing my research for today, I discovered that there's roughly 30 death threats a day, minimum, uh, that the Secret Service fields against a given president sitting term, and which is pretty wild when you think about it. And they actually do, even though many of them are from crazies, they, they do investigate each and every one of them to a certain degree. Multiple people were put in jail for assassination attempts and plots against President Barack Obama. We've seen it all the way back into Andrew Jackson and, and Abraham Lincoln. So people having passionate feelings about the leader of the now free world and, and uh, emerging nation back then is not necessarily a new thing. But the fact that we haven't evolved past it is what really freaks me out. You know, yeah, okay, it kind of makes sense. After the Boston Tea Party and people had just fought a revolution that they thought revolution was the only way to change things in power, it's a perfectly logical argument. But what's what's concerning to me in a lot in this in this leadership, that guy's a great example. There's been plenty of other folks on my side of the fence, and I'm not proud of the things that they've said because it doesn't build any bridges and it just gives everyone a reason to not take us seriously, uh, is as this incredibly aggressive and and violent approach. And that's not actually the answer. I mean, demonstrating is one thing, but ending someone's life or wishing ill will against a human or a family, or there was a journalist who tweeted about Trump's son potentially becoming a school shooter during the uh, inauguration. And like, that's deplorable. You know, that's bad human behavior. Not a human. Stop doing that. That's that. None of us should be proud of that. None of us should support that. And um, I think... I think that really beautifully contrasts with what some people have done such an excellent job of doing and and to the point of human rights, Airbnb offered up free places for people stuck. It's actually really non-political. It's saying, hey, we don't know what's going on. Seems the federal government and customs agents don't have any idea what's going on either. In the meantime, here's a free place to stay. Uh, I I think those sorts of efforts by big brands are one of the best ways to get political. Because even if you were supportive of this executive order, 
you're not going to, what are you going to do? Protest Airbnb because they offered people space for free that were stuck in the middle of a mess? No, I don't think so. So, Right. Yeah. So on the Airbnb one, I guess the one that's closest to that is the Uber example. And yeah, this one, this one puzzles me. This is almost, so you and I were talking about this last night. And for those of you that don't know about the Uber, I'm sure people have seen the the delete Uber hashtag that kind of trended over the weekend. Uh, But kind of the the history of how that happened is, and you can help me out with this story. So so maybe fill in wherever I miss Savannah. But, um, you know, there were tons of protesters at JFK and the taxi commission uh, said that they were going to go on strike from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, mm-hmm. in support of uh, the protesters. And at 7.30, which is 30 minutes after the scheduled protest, U- Uber shoots out a tweet saying that they're, that they're going to uh, not uh, inc- that, that passengers will not incur the, what is it, the rate charge or? Yeah, surge pricing. The surge pricing. Um, and all of a sudden, they got hammered in the media and people were deleting Uber. Why, Savannah? I, I think, I mean, it's, it's an unfortunate circumstance for them. I think it's a little bit uh, wrong place, wrong time, just because that was a powder keg waiting to happen. The CEO of Uber, Travis, is very much a public figure himself and has made some statements and built a company that has historically not been the friendliest to immigrants and to uh, contract employees. They're they're basically trying to get out of having to pay health insurance. And and that's a whole different Uber story. But I think what happened here is this is a really great example of what happens when you don't have good social credibility within your community to begin with. So if people are waiting for a reason to get mad at you, and you do something even just kind of lame duck, which to me, this was just kind of a lame duck move by them. Wasn't aggressive, wasn't trying to be anything, but it also wasn't anything positive. It was just, it was lame duck. Yeah. Uh, is is they are gonna, they're looking for the sniff of blood. They want any reason to be able to, to jump on it. And, and you know, Uber was a total powder keg. The they being the protesters. Such, yeah, oh yeah, the protesters, the media, frankly, I'll be honest. Uh, Uber was at one time such a darling in the tech media and now uh, through actually, I mean, coming back to human rights by kind of ignoring certain rights for their workers, they've, they've, the media has done a complete 180. So, well, so speaking of ignoring anything too wrong this weekend, uh, but you know, I, uh, I'll be honest since I'm, I'm all about transparency. I deleted Uber this weekend. I needed to do it anyway, but it felt good to jump on the bandwagon. And like, that's awful from a, from a, um, as a thought leader perspective, but as a consumer, I mean, think about it. That's why people did it. I bet there were a lot of people like me who had kind of been not necessarily happy with the service in general and sick of getting extorted. And, uh, and this weekend probably pushed them over the edge. So. Well, so speaking, so speaking of ignoring, I want to, I want to give some shout outs. So so Vinny is here. That's freaking cool. So Vinny's my new pal from the Women's March a couple of weeks back. Thanks to you. I love it. <laughs> so that that's uh, it's cool to see. So Vinny says hi guys, uh, and uh, Terry Johnson says that seems harmless. I guess he's thin skinned. Um, Sam Gonzo obviously is in the house. Avery Ratz is in the house. Hey Avery. Um, so Vinny says consumers are testing a newfound impact they can have on brands. I think that's right. 
yeah, I think I think it's right. I think what's really interesting is. Uh, oh, I love that we're talking about this. So I, I studied political science in school. And oh, so, so I'm going to get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, but in a great way, though, I mean, human human power and how we derive that and what we do to demonstrate that has been a really cool thing over time. And some things are completely different now and some things are exactly the same. And so boycotting has always been popular. I mean, unions and mm-hmm. unionizing coming together is what gave us the ability to be able to boycott and and have large impact and typically consumers the, the the ability to transmit information wasn't fast enough right you'd have to get somebody to write a news article or you had to physically mail a letter to someone to say hey i don't like general right. motors anymore we should protest them whereas now all it takes is you know 10 influencers then it trickles down to our layer of digital influence we blast it out and you know within an hour half the world knows what's going on so right. the transmission of information makes it really possible um and i so yes uh, to that comment i think i think that's person is right i think we're flexing and i think like any new uh pair of sneakers or skill set we're going to figure out where it all balances out and and actually what's good action with our pocketbooks versus what's aggressive i mean i think starbucks is the most ironic example of the whole yeah that that, that threw me off i i guess you know the the fundamental question uh, and and specifics for, for this show is is you know if you're if you're running an enterprise brand and you're the CEO, what are the pros and cons of you taking things that you and maybe your inner circle have a passion for and injecting them into a company where you're potentially risking the jobs of your employees and their livelihoods. And, you know, they have nothing to do with these. So a CEO says something and social media gets wind of it. And all of a sudden folks, you know, in your example, folks like you delete Uber. Well, now, now that Uber driver who, you know, wasn't his fault, but now totally. he doesn't have access to your business anymore simply because, you know, the CEO decided. Now, again, I, I think the Uber thing is a little bit different than uh, m- maybe like the Starbucks example. I, I really think the Uber thing was just a that was just uh, that sucked because it, it, yeah. I, I don't think it he's was malicious. Just, he's just ran his mouth before. And so this just caught up to him. And I think the other thing, I didn't actually delete Uber the night that that happened. If we're going to be, I deleted Uber when Lyft donated a million dollars. So to clarify, my my action against Uber wasn't necessarily out of malice or saying, get this off my phone. It was, whoa, while there was this weird befuddlement going on, the, the competitor seized the opportunity and in my opinion, very brilliantly newsjacked it. And, and put their money where their mouth was and donated a million dollars to the ACLU. And I saw that and I said, you know what? You can have my money. I would like to think of, you know, every now, every hundredth ride going to the ACLU. Why not? Right. That's great. And and so I think that's the other brand play here. I think they also lost because Lyft won. And um, not just because of what they said. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Super weird. Starbucks is confusing. I wonder if anyone's actually boycotting Starbucks. I don't know. You know, people listening right now have gone to Starbucks or hadn't thought about it. So the one thing that I thought was interesting is, is that two of Trump's uh, cabinet or inner circle uh, are significant investors in Lyft. And I was like, wait. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, um, I'll have to put in the meeting notes who they are. I should know who they are. Um, Peter Thiel is. uh, I mean, I know Peter Thiel is for sure. Yeah. 
Yes, he he he, and and I don't remember the other. He was one of the two. Um, so Alexander Goldie Pants Lally says, "Lowly, yeah, Lowly, hi Lowly." Sav is killing it, and Terry Johnson says, "This is where having a brand voice helps. Uh, you post from the standpoint of the brand and not your personal views." So that's kind of what I agree with. I mean, it, it does make sense to brands for brands to have a voice. But I think they need to be mindful of their entirety, meaning that, you know, let, let's say that you're an auto manufacturer and there's a law that's passed that impacts not just uh, a car, but all of the employees around it. So, right. you know, then to the degree that you're making a statement on literally on behalf of the company, then it makes sense. But I think for CEOs and executives to to, to make off the hip comments and remarks on behalf of the company, that's, you can get, that's where it gets dangerous. And it's not equitable, I think, for the employees that, like I said, are just, are the, ultimately the ones that get caught in their crosshairs. Absolutely. I think, I think you're describing the real tragedy of opinion. I think in most cases, opinion is a wonderful thing to have and to foster. But when your voice affects other people in the same way, I don't think our elected officials need to run their mouth. I agree that, I mean, especially if you are a publicly traded company, you are not actually in charge. The shareholders are in charge of that. That's right. And you should never let your ego get in the way of that. And I think a lot of people make really big mistakes when it comes to yeah. leveraging their brands at a personal asset when, A, they didn't build it from the ground up. So I do think if you actually build it step by step, each person you hired should know how you feel. That was mm -hmm. a part of the deal. There's, there's something to that. There is a cultural education to that. Having mission values is great. But I, I think it's just incredibly arrogant and insensitive when you see the kind of behavior that, that we're seeing with some of these brands on the, on the negative side of things. And when they don't factor in the repercussions, it shows their privilege, right? They're obviously mm -hmm. not thinking about their next meal if they can get on and, and tout things. And, and as, I mean, by definition of the law, if you are the, the leader of a public company, you are a public figure. So you can you are you are subjected to we can make fun of you and say negative things about you or whatever and not be subject to libel and slander. Right. So it's very interesting. They they, they lose certain rights literally legally when taking on that role as a public figure, so to defend themselves from being attacked. So in doing that, accept the responsibility. Know that that you are now at the helm of something that's not just about you. And um I mean, I'm, I'm so 100% with you when it comes to these big companies. I think Ford actually did an excellent job yesterday or two days ago. Their statement was simply, this executive order doesn't reflect our values as a company. It's really all they had to say. It's definitely very PR'd and, and watered. You know, it's not saying a whole lot of anything. But what's nice is they're not saying we accept it either. Right. And I think that's awesome if you're an immigrant working on their assembly line and you've heard that. You know that your, you know, big daddy Ford has your back, but they also didn't say anything that pissed anyone off. Well, that's exactly right. So, yeah, so, so you take, Ford. yeah, you take the, the statement that Ford had, which is they, they did, they did, uh, you, you know, lay, lay out their case and their point. It was, it was generic, but you contrast that with, say, Starbucks, where Starbucks basically did something where they were in a no-win situation. So. You know, they, they said that they're going to hire, yeah. what, 100,000 immigrants over the 10, next four 000, years, yeah. 10,000 immigrants uh, in the next four years across the world. So yeah. do the math on that. That's like saying we're not going to hire anybody. <laughs> like yeah, 10,000 jobs over four, four years. 
across the globe. It, you know, and yeah. then the backlash they got is, was, well, geez, why didn't you just hire a vet? You can't right. win. So that was just, you know. No, and that that whole argument is kind of nitpicking and awful, too. Like, yeah, I mean, there's a reason that we're not allowed to think about age, race, gender, and bias when making hiring decisions. Is so, hypothetically, this all is non-biased, and we don't talk about that. And I think Starbucks walked into that trap because HR is not supposed to make decisions based on that, right? Like, right. that's that's labor law in this country. So, like, I think everyone could just use a really great history lesson or, like, legal 101 on this so they understand what they can and can't do and, and what they're liable for. Um, I think the and this is, I'm actually so excited to talk to both of you about this side of it because I think we all kind of agree on the big brand stuff, you know, be sensitive put law and and prior legislation first. If you're going to make a statement, make sure you're using the Constitution or something to back up your statement so that it's mm-hmm. not just your opinion that can be torn apart. Uh, really be sensitive to people. No one will ever fault you if you talk about your own employees and say, here at X company, 15 people were affected by Y and we stand behind them. That's great. Netflix did a really good job with that. Facebook did a good job. There were some companies who really let the employee community story lead. And I think that's also fantastic. That's the inverse, the antidote to what you were saying, essentially, which is, hey, here are our people that we love. And we just want to make sure they can continue to run our engineering department. We're doing whatever they're doing. Uh, I think that's really powerful. The gray zone for me, and I think actually the tweet we started this whole broadcast with, is kind of on the fringe is at what point if you're a small town mom and pop business I mean he obviously sells amplifiers online but uh, at what point are you a private citizen expressing your own political views and I'm not saying saying you want to kill someone is ever okay I, I don't think that's okay at all but I, I do think it's an interesting gray zone if, you know, you've got three employees, one of them's your brother, another one's your best friend, they know you very well, they would stand behind your statements no matter what you said, and you get on the internet and you say something, and then you have someone who doesn't know you at all in the case of this. Um, so you're talking you know, about actually, context. Yeah, yeah. So no <clears throat> context. You have, I mean, we saw this happen locally with a brewer in Sacramento. Who, who shared his opinions and a reporter from the Sacramento Bee, the largest publication in Sacramento, uh, put him on blast and, and screenshot his personal Facebook page, tweeted mm. it, shared it. And then, you know, people obviously protested and the guys lost a lot of business as a result of it. That to me, from a, from a speaking strictly legal definition, from my knowledge, I actually think it's, yeah, it's slanderous, it's libel. I, I think he actually committed it, committed a, uh, you know, a, crime, not like a dramatic crime, but a crime in, in, in sort of... Well, I'm sure that that crime is horrific to that to that uh, brewery owner, right? I mean... Right, no, exactly. He's got a mortgage to pay and, a, and employees to pay and, right. you know, the... the you have to put through college, you know, nobody... Yeah. And, and I, I think he's allowed to, you know, and this guy didn't say... This guy wasn't threatening anyone's life. He was, he was, and actually of all things for me to defending, this is pretty ironic because he was, he was making fun of the Women's March. Mm. And and as someone who was a huge advocate for it, I mean, we were live streaming the whole thing. And, and one of the things I'm honestly most proud of I've done in the last couple of years, just the fact that we pulled that together, uh, is... Five and a um, half hours worth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can all see it on my page, too. Please check it out if you missed out on the march. It's really good footage. Um, I, I, I really 
think that he should have been able to say that without a journalist going out of their way and doing it. I mean, if he posted it on the brewery page, well, yeah, of course, you know, right. I'm, I'm going to have an opinion about that and I've never even drank your beer. But, but if you're, you know, just having your private thought, like, we don't build any bridges by not encouraging free speech and deliberation. It just makes us all hate each other even more. So, so, so Vinny asks, he said, what about situations like Hobby Lobby? I, I, I remember it, but I don't remember it now. Uh, Vinny, tell us, remind everyone in the audience the details in the comments, or bring on Vincenzo. V, do you remember? I don't actually know the Hobby He's Lobby drama. Now. I'll be really honest. I just forgot about it. I mean, it, no, I, it was, I, I know. I like faintly. I, I remember hearing some story, but I feel like there's another company in the hot spot always with this stuff. V, you there? I'm right here. I'm I like, see you. I'm well, trying to get you, out of here. But, uh, your well, audio's so, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to bring you on. But I, I thought you were telling me to not bring you on camera. So, oh, yeah, bring me on. I'm all right. right. Here it comes then. <laughs> They were known for all going all the way to the Supreme Court for um, they tried to get a religious exemption from the Supreme Court. Oh, uh, that's right. Covering contraceptives and its insurance plans. Uh, but then just last year, I believe they also were backing Marco Rubio. Which Marco and Marco Rubio was um, <laughs> he, he supported those same contraceptives that they had once tried to kind of, you know, uh, not allowed not, in the store. And, and it was the plan B, uh, specifically plan B, which I'm, you know, I'm not putting a name on it, but is a, a, a type of contraceptive post. Well, I don't even know how to exactly say it, but it's, you know, it's, uh, a type of contraceptive that they were looking for a religious exemption from. And so kind of like that went up in arms. I don't know what Vinny's question was because I got disconnected. Um, he, he, said, he, he said Hobby funny. Lobby uh, Oh, he said Hobby Lobby Didn't want certain birth control covered Correct It was specifically Plan B though, I believe I don't think it was like condoms. That's the morning after pill? Correct I mean, does it make a difference as far as I'm well, concerned I'm, contraceptive? I'm saying that's what I, I'm just yeah. saying it was Specific As opposed to just general uh, Oh yeah To so take that's that for what you interpret it as um, but that was what it was. I think the, the situation at hand was for specific contraceptives, specifically Plan B, not you know every single contraceptive. Again, it doesn't make a difference. The so, oops versus the premeditated. Correct. So again, it's not you know it's for you yeah. to decide how you feel. But you know there were some interesting points being going. going back that's and really forth. interesting. Yeah. Earlier, for, uh, you know, Rob and Savannah. And I think what's really, Savannah, you made a point, like, where's the line of when are you a private citizen and when are you a owner of like a company or something, right? I think it doesn't make a difference anymore, right? Now we're in the day, we're we're in the day and age where if you choose to tweet or post something or write an article on Medium or LinkedIn or a blog, I mean, it's public. And I've got, I've got Brian Fanzo behind me. Where is he? And I know he agrees with me on that. Like, if you choose to take that step and make that jump, regardless of politics, right? This is regardless of political content or content, you know, anything we're talking about. Anything you choose to put out there, you've chosen to take that step. My dad, uh, he is 58 years old, has, you know, n- does not tweet or Facebook or anything, right? right? 
So truly, the things that he says and does are within the context of only the people he's saying them to, right? Because he's having these one-on-one conversations. The problem is that when we take our arguments and take our uh, very uh, private, contextual moments and publicize those thoughts, we don't think, you know, we're not, well, we, maybe we think, but there's many that aren't thinking of the ramifications beyond that. So you can take a stand, right? You, you can make that stand, but the moment you go and make it public, that's when you run into issues, right? You go and start saying well, like, oh, this is my stance here. Because you brought up specifically, well, Savannah or Rob, they like, well, what if it was just like the brother and the uncle that worked with this guy, right? It's just the three of them. Well, you guys can say whatever you want in private. No one's, you know, no one's going to know. My grandmother said, what you don't do, nobody will know. You know, that's something I, we grew up with all the time. And I use this quote all the time with why I choose to say the things and do the things I do on social media, because I'm not doing anything that I would look back at and say, oh, no, I, that would bring reproach upon, you know, my reputation or my family's reputation. These individuals aren't thinking like that. They're thinking, well, this tweet, no one's going to see it because they don't realize the power of it. Again, it doesn't make it right, but, but- it's just... Therein lies the dilemma right there. Go ahead. I mean, what is so, so I, I, I agree with you from the like very high level sense that anything we say is on the internet. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, as, as Nancy says in the comments here, you post your public. And I think, I think that that definitely sums it up very well. And I think, but, and, and it's not so much that we're deliberating here, but I think there's a really interesting line, right? Because this wasn't, you know, and, and I don't want this conversation to divulge into the nuances of privacy settings on Facebook, but let's say that guy posted, this, this brewery guy, we'll just use him as an example because it's a small company and it's kind of right sure. over the edge. So let's say he posted, you know, he may have only posted that to his friends, right? And his, and it might not have been a public post. And let's say he has, you know, 500 Facebook friends sure. and, and so, yes, to those 500 people, it is public. But on the flip side, this journalist who may have become his friend after interviewing him as a small business in the community. Sure. And now, you know what I mean? This guy should think about this. Everyone's always listening. I'm not disagreeing with that aspect of it. But it is, was he actually trying to make a public statement when he posted it on the Internet? That would affect I mean, his business? I mean, in this day and age, if you're posting anything on the Internet, how do you not think you're making a public statement? And now, and now we're going to get into. Let's see. That's so native to us, guys. Like you have to understand. Oh no, and I agree with you. I agree with you. Digital natives, like sure. It it, you know if my mom tweeting does not think, and even though she's my mom, she doesn't think that she's gonna you know end up losing her chiropractic business if she supports me in the women's march. Mm -hmm. I mean that's that's just a reality. So I think, you know, while I agree that, yes, it is public and, and you're 100% right and Fanzo and everyone in these comments uh, is, is accurate in that regard, I think that it, that doesn't make it right. Like, I, I believe in the ability to have independent private opinion. And I think that, yes, obviously, to us, Facebook is a beaming billboard that, that is blasting your message. And many of us use it that way very intentionally. I don't think that everyone else thinks of it in, in the same way. And maybe they, I mean, they should, but 
there's reality there. Does this guy deserve to lose his business because of this? I don't know. But, but what do you, okay. So does he deserve the right? No. In the sense that you're, you're saying it, but if enough people say, Oh, I don't agree with that. I think that guy's an an asshole. I'm not going to go to his shop. Right. I mean, it's the same thing. It's the same thing that's happening with, the grab your wallet movement, right? You're trying to ban specific places that that's not trying to harm. Isn't that the same context? It's just, you're dealing with bigger corporations versus a smaller mom and pop. But that's precisely the difference. And that's where the law stands. Public figures and private citizens are two different people. So mom and pop and big corps are different legally as well as public. Okay. Then define public figure then. That's what I did earlier on the show. Public figure I is that because I was <laughs> trying yeah. to switch. So this is why we're talking about this, sweetheart. Um, and, and in the best way. So public figure, you under the law, when it comes to slander and libel as individual citizens, as private citizens, even as a business owner, even as a business owner of a medium sized company, I am protected under the law. There are laws that says you Vincenzo cannot publicly say negative things about me. Savannah Peterson. That's libel, slander. Uh, when And when you are a public figure, an elected mm-hmm. official, someone who uh, leads a very large company that is controlled by the public, so a publicly held large corp, uh, you are your public figure, which means under the law, I'm allowed to draw a picture that makes fun of you, cartoons. I'm allowed to write a blog post about 10 mm-hmm. things you're doing wrong, and I can be pretty malicious with that, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's my right. That's... In, in accepting an, in a, a public office and taking on a position that is, that is quote, publicly funded, invested in, whatever, mm-hmm. you are giving up, and this is a part of the deal, I can't emphasize this enough, you are actually giving up your right to defend your personal self in, in, in the legal sphere of things. And people also need to understand this when they get involved in stuff and know the difference because there's a reason we can you know, make political fan art that mocks either side. And there's a reason we can't make, you know, art of our neighbor and make fun of them for always being loud. So mm-hmm. there's, I think when like absolutely should we hold big companies accountable for the things that their folks say? And that is 100% public, mm-hmm. but I've had some really interesting scenarios with clients. I can give you guys an example if anyone's curious. Uh, where I've had clients arrested and had to keep them out of jail and there's been libel and slander and all centered around even the Facebook post of like the police department. So you, it's, it's important in my opinion that a certain level of personal privacy be preserved from a legal and, and just rights standpoint. And I think that line is, is when you put someone's, personal thoughts on a greater blast than they themselves originally did as a private citizen. A business is a business. That's not even what we're talking sure. about. But. Sure. And, you know, we could probably go back and forth about that all day. Um, I, I, Rob? So uh, this is one thing that I actually love. So Nancy says, I missed the start. Do you two have differing opinions uh, on posting on social media? So I wonder if she means like, is one of us left? One of us is one of us, right? Uh, I hope that's what she does mean, because, you know, what the reason one of the compelling reasons why I wanted to bring Savannah on is just to kind (laughs) of demonstrate, you know, how 
unlike the new, unlike the media where everybody is just crass and going at each other's neck, you know, you know, that we could demonstrate that, Hey, we can have an adult conversation, you know, uh, one for the left, one for the right, and still show harmony and, you know, enjoyment and, and friendship with each other without having to club each other. So, yeah, so I don't, so I don't know if I answered Nancy's question or not, but hopefully that's that what she meant. Know, for those that might not realize it, Savannah's on the left and, uh, I'm, I lean right. Rob is kind of, uh, I would say lean right as well. And, and so we said, you know, when Rob and I were designing this specific show, we said it would be kind of, uh, irresponsible of us just to have one opinion, um, especially coming from one side, even if Rob and I advocate. And so Savannah is, uh, a friend of mine and, and we always have a very civil discussion on, on these things. So we wanted to bring you these discussion, this discussion here, to where you can uh, at least hear both sides of the story. I do really believe anything you put out there is public. So if Savannah and I differ on that opinion, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I truly believe that the minute you decide to use social media, regardless of your position, whether it is as a private citizen or as a president of a company or an elected official, you're one and the same. That's what social media has done. And I just don't believe the law has caught up to where we are with social media yet, right? The law hasn't really, and yes, you're. I think people, that's very fair from uh, where we are now versus where yes. we were in the past. I think that's yeah, really, and, and I think it's very difficult to, because these mediums change constantly, right? Uh, let's take Chewbacca mom for a second. She just shared that privately with me. Let's just say that turned into something completely different than what it was. Let's say that it was, uh, let's say she made the comment that we posted earlier that was done privately, but she put it on live, right? And now 50 million people see it. You know, would we be sitting here saying the same thing? I don't know. I don't know. And that's where we're going right now. You know, social media, anything you post has the you know, ability to go completely viral at a moment's notice. You don't, you know, viral, we can't predict viral. And so I don't think the constitution, I don't think the law currently has a clause in it that says, well, if this goes viral, then it becomes public, you know, or, or what? No, totally. And it's not there yet. So I, I do agree with what you're saying, Savannah, at the purest extent of it, but I think if we step back and say, well, what are we really dealing with? It's very, very difficult to, to understand. It's really difficult to digest because we are dealing with an ever-changing landscape that is, you know, it's different every day. Every day it's different. It is. I think that, no, I think that's actually an, an exceptional point in the sense that there, there is always a lag especially with technology in, in a lot of aspects. And I guess, and I'm, now I'm just curious because we've gotten to a very kind of cool and nuanced level. Cause I actually think this is where probably a lot of our listeners sit too, is like, mm-hmm. am I a public figure? Are we public figures? Is my business, you know, where, how, at what point do I give up my ability to have an opinion? If it's very strong and polarizing, it's something I think about all the time as, yeah. as me and as a very, uh, it's, I'm so tickled. Nobody knew what I was coming into this, but as a, as a, as a very outspoken Democrat, uh, and, and liberal, um, I actually kind of come back around the spectrum and I'm quite libertarian on some things too, which is probably why I get along with these guys very well. Mm-hmm. See, uh, 
eye to eye very much when it comes to individual rights. I'm a little more laissez-faire. And I also am very fiscally conservative as I would like to be able to afford a house in San Francisco someday. So, uh, but I, I think that um, I agree with you that in the sense that once you put it on the internet, it is technically, I mean, it's out there, right? You put it on the internet. And so in that extent, I agree with you and Fanzo and everybody who says it's public, we're with that. But I do think, and, and this is, and I don't mean to keep coming back down to the no, law, but, but when it comes to completely ruining someone's livelihood, because that's what happened for this guy. I mean, San Fran- or Sacramento freaked out. You know, this guy's in, in kind of a, a red hub in a very blue state, yeah. and it just didn't, didn't go well for him. And, like, I mean, I, it's shocking to me. I'm defending this story, actually, as I'm saying this out loud, because I really, really don't agree with what he said. But I guess yeah. this is the beautiful bit of being a constitutionalist is, is like I fundamentally, well, not that this was the constitution, but anyway, um, <laughs> it's taking it a little far, but I'm a direct interpreter of the law, let's put it that way. I, I very much, I, I think that he should have the right to uh, defend himself against this particular reporter who initially incriminated him. So, um, oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and whether that's like, you know, he could sue him for damages or he could sue him for libel or for slander. I'm curious to see what ends up panning out. And I think yeah. cases around this time will help define that future legality that you're talking about. Like, I think yeah. we're going to see cases in court that'll create the future of what is actually defensible. So sure. if you just killed his like $3 million business with one tweet as a reporter, like that's, you know, yeah, the guy shouldn't have opened his mouth, but it's also that guy's First Amendment right to open his mouth. So that's yeah. that's an interesting point, right? That you bring out, and I wanna and I wanna go to the comments to, and and just hold your thought because there's some people that there's kind of a little bit of a, I don't want to say differing opinions, but there's a few different things here. Um, Vinny says that if we go back to Gary Vaynerchuk's Thank You Economy book, Gary made the comment, and I remember because I actually listened to this on Audible and I, I rewound it a couple of times that our grandparents would be better prepared for social media than this generation, and. That's kind of what we're running into right now with especially this particular story we're or talking about is that like my grandparents would have never gone and turned to some public forum to say anything because it was always, you know, keeping private matters private, keeping keeping things, you know, you don't you don't put that out in public, right? And so yeah. that I, I love that uh Vinny brought that up. But then um Alan, who is over at Zoom, thank you for uh, joining us, Alan. He said, How does social media define public versus private figure? And I think it goes a little deeper than what you said. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the really good question. He asks, is it verified versus non-verified? Is it terms of service? So what exactly, because I call myself a public figure, right, on my Facebook page. Me too, yeah. Actually, you're an entrepreneur. I checked it because I wanted to. Oh, yes. Oh, that makes me feel, oh, that's, okay, that's interesting. So I double-checked that just so we have this this discussion here. So Savannah, you call yourself an entrepreneur, but I call myself a public figure for whatever reason because I wanted to get verified on my page, but. That's neither here nor there. Um, so that's what Alan's asking. Like, what? So what constitutes public there? And if because you're a public figure or, a, or you're verified, so now you become public uh, or supposedly a public figure on this social media network, are you still really a public figure? So I think there are so many questions because there's no universal definition across the board. And then no. there, there's definitions in different spaces right look well you're you can make yourself private on twitter right so that nobody can see your tweets unless you accept that 
okay, so maybe that's a way of saying I'm private versus public. And Facebook, you're, you can only be friends with certain people or you can make your tweets not public. Maybe that's a way of saying, but is that the only way? Because like you said, exactly. no, maybe this guy didn't post it publicly and right. the reporter saw it. So that to me in hypothetical form is wherein lies the question, right? Mm-hmm. Should he have said it? No, like a million, million things wrong. But if he said in a private closed space, is it fair that, or, or is it defamation that it, that it came out this way? I actually have, uh, because this is awesome. I see in the question, someone's asking if I'm a lawyer, I'm not a lawyer, but I studied mass media law. I'm not saying that makes me a lawyer. I'm not saying that makes me cool or smart or anything, but I've read a lot on this to the point of, and I find it very interesting, especially when it comes to stuff like this, I'm very passionate about making sure humans are not defamed, uh, errantly. So this is actually pretty cool to, this is Supreme court text right here on what a public figure is. So we all know once and for all, the court defines the two types of public figures as follows quote, those who by reason of the notoriety of their achievements or the vigor and success with which they seek the public's attention are properly classified as public figures. So athlete, pro-athlete, president, etc. For the most part, those who attain this status have assumed roles I'm talking about, of special prominence in the affairs of society. Some occupy positions of such persuasive power and influence that they are deemed public figures for all purposes. More commonly, these classified as those classified as public figures have thrust themselves to the forefront of particular public controversies in order to gain influence the resolution of issues in, or the resolution of issues involved. In either event, they invite attention and comment. So there you go. Yes. So I think that's actually a really interesting delineator that we can latch onto, inviting you attention invite and attention. comment. So that would make all of us here public figures simply by broadcasting this show. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I mean, that's, and I think that's as close to a definition as we can get universally. Um, I'm sure a lawyer could argue it if they were defending one side or the other Um, far better than I could because that's not my profession. Uh, Brian Fanzo says ownership in digital space is non-existent. And Brian was commenting because Alan asked who owns the content being pushed out. Does that have an effect on whether it's public or private? Um, Nancy also asked if our grandparents had these tools at our ages they might be using them similarly, wouldn't they? I don't believe so, personally. You know, my grandparents were too busy in the farm, on the farm to be tweeting about it, like, milked another cow today, chicken laid three eggs, woot, woot. Like, I <laughs> don't laugh back there. I got Fanzo and Rachel laughing at me back here. Um, I, you know, I don't see it happening, but I also think it's because we've come to expect technology. We've come to expect this more... You know, back in the, I, my grandparents, you know, from the stories I hear, like they never wanted to be public figures. They wanted to live their private life. They wanted to be, like, that's it. They didn't care about having, you know, prominence. Now, you know, they see me or they see others out there and they're like, oh man, you're on TV. You're doing this, you're doing that. Like, it's different. You know, it's different now. We have more access to that. So do I think they would use it? No, I personally don't, but I'm sure one could argue either way on that, on that particular scenario. Yeah, I'm actually, I feel really good about where we came to with this dialogue, because I think that's, 
that's great to think about. Like, oh, we've got some other comments I didn't see. I'm just seeing now. Uh, Jerome Griffin, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. He says, even in the firearms industry, I stay away from the political nonsense in the marketing. Uh, that's really interesting. Jer- so, uh, Jer- Jerome, where are uh, what are you? That's smart. <laughs> uh, I mean, curious where he works. Not getting political is usually advisable yeah. for most. I mean, when I was personally fired for tweeting. Uh, way back when it was uh, because I had a political opinion period. I, I, I mean, I think it had a little bit to do with the fact that I was living in the middle of Texas making fun of Rick Perry, but I think that uh, it, considering the lack of malice in the language that I used and, and the really just like cheeky conversational friendly tone, um, it was, it was their whole thing was literally, if you want to work at this particular PR agency, you don't get to have a political opinion and it's okay if you want to have a sign in your yard at home, but you can't put a bumper sticker on your car. And that level of censorship was like way too much for me. doesn't matter what political side of the fence I was on. Obviously there's a reason I got fired shortly thereafter. You can imagine I didn't exactly go quietly into the night on that. And I think, um, I don't know. I just, I think, I think there's, I've known firsthand the risks. I mean, I've certainly never thought mm-hmm. my tweets were private to begin with, but having been fired, it's already affected my livelihood. Yeah. I just, I think the notion of if you put on the hat that when I post publicly, I am inviting comment and, yeah. and ridicule you are then, and to us it feels native because we do this all the time, but think about it. If you're a new business, this isn't native. You know, if you go from just talking to your friends every day to all of a sudden talking to the internet, it's different. So I think that's an important delineator. I love that everyone has farmer families in here too. There's some farmer comments going on. I learned to drive on a tractor. I grew up on a farm myself. So word up to all the country people in the audience. So I, wanna, I wanted to, we've got five more minutes. I wanted to read a passage from an article from a good friend, Chris Brogan, who just recently wrote something about this topic. And I want to jump into the last few comments there uh, that you guys are making. So thank you for being highly engaged here with the conversation. Uh, Chris Brogan said, and this is kind of in response to the Uber situation with uh, Travis, but it's, and I'm going to read this directly. It says, um, he says, Travis is the CEO of Uber. He stated and has shown support for the U S president Trump. Uh, this might, might not be the real reason for the vitriol. Uh, the point Chris is making is not political. He's talking about business communication and Uber has and will continue to lose money. Uber drivers will have to choose a new platform or quit, at least in the short term. What should you do? Because that's kind of the question we posed in the beginning of the show was like, what should you do? And I, and I think the statement Chris makes is really, really powerful. Connect with who you serve, period, right? Who do you serve? And he says the beauty of business and the free market system is that people have a choice, period. People have a choice. There's Uber, there's Lyft, there's taxis. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's choices, right? If someone doesn't agree with your politics, they can choose not to spend money with you. There are laws in place in most countries to insist that we serve everyone. And, and Chris believes that we should. He said, that said, we can choose language that's more inviting to those we serve. And we can be more clear than ever how we are, are here to help people succeed. Instead of protesting, reach out. Connect with those who matter to your business. Be more vocal than ever on how you stand by them and what you believe. Give people reasons to remember why they buy from you in the first place, which I do believe Lyft did a great job, right? They went and supported the ACLU. They're, they're talking directly to who they're serving. They did a much better job than, than what Uber decided to do in this matter. So, uh, and 
again, Chris, um, Chris goes on to say a few more things, but he says, the same goes for you. Show people what you stand for. Be clear about who you serve. Give them reasons to remember you and uh, remember who you are and how you belong in their world and vice versa. He says, don't protest, promote. Um, and I'll, I'll drop a link there. Again, you, you may agree with the article. You may not agree with it. I thought it was very concise, clear and to the point. Um, you know, it had, it was non-political. It was just, I hey, think it, I is- think that's absolutely spot on. And uh, I think, I mean, you should always know your community. That's what I do for a living and advocate for all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that uh, Chick-fil-A sold more chicken when the CEO made a racist comment than they ever have in the history of Chick-fil-A. So I'm not going to make any, connect any dots there that aren't already connected. But if you know your customer is going to come have fried chicken, no matter what you say, that's racist, Mm -hmm. then who cares? You can be a racist. And I mean, I hate to say it so blunt like that. Chick-fil-A is a pretty straightforward example. And it's not even really political as it was. He was just flat out racist. Uh, I, I think that's, a, that's, you know, what's hilarious about that is they got so much press and the line was out the door because yeah. the people who agreed with that showed up to Chick-fil-A. Exactly. So I, I 100% agree with Chris on that. I mean, I, I agree on that political or not, any marketing message, know your audience. If you're just Absolutely. talking, back, you're going to fail anyway. I mean, we all talk about this stuff all the time. Let's get to uh, just some of the comments. Just I want to finish up with the comments that were left here in the last couple of minutes. Nancy says, I don't do politics publicly. I have too many close political leaders on both sides and it's just not my style. So she chooses not to again, that's awesome. Good policy. Sebastian says, I never post about politics, which is, if you know, Sebastian, you know, that's a bold face. Uh, and he has a, he has a laughing face. He's so he, he's being very facetious there. Uh, Alan Steele says they stick to facts. And now zoom is a social media analytics company. One that I work uh, very closely with and, and appreciate your support, uh, but they stick to facts. So when they talk about politics or when they talk about anything, it's always factual. What did social media? What is the exact statistics on this in social media? You know, it doesn't matter what the opinion is. And um, Jerome says, uh, actually, let's see, we have a question. Jeff Koga says, "What are your thoughts in companies who artificially and purposely use trending topics like politics to get media attention?" And Savannah, maybe you want to answer that. Um, Sorry, I was actually just, I was, I was deep in the, in, in the comments there. Uh, Yeah, it was, we're getting a lot of comments right now, by the way, everyone who's throwing something in, keep throwing it in, we'll answer it, even if we don't answer it right now. So can you repeat the question for me, sweetie? Uh, Jeff said, and of course I clicked off of it as soon as you asked me, um, Jeff said, (laughs) what are your thoughts in companies who artificially and purposely use trending topics like politics to get media attention? So that's an excellent question. What not? That's a really excellent question. Uh, Jeff, I'm so glad you, you said that. Um, I think that uh, newsjacking is one of the smartest things you can do as a business. It's one of the best ways to make yourself relevant in every news cycle. And I don't necessarily think you should manipulate your messaging or your story or your vision to, to, to constantly do it. But as someone who's beat Apple at their own game on launch day and had an article that was higher than their announcement blog because I just timed it right, like you, there's such an advantage to taking advantage of a conversation that's already happening. The question I always tell my clients or ask my clients is, where are your customers when they're not talking to you? And, and if your customers are all in that dialogue, if it's political or anything, could just be about the Super Bowl, you right. should also be in that dialogue. 
if you want to play along. So I think that that's, uh, yeah. I think, and I think it goes back to what we said earlier, right? If you choose to go down that hole, you have to also accept repercussion for going down that rabbit hole. You know, if you're going to enter into a, some, a political conversation, regardless of, uh, you know, what you really feel about it, like, oh, we're going to go dabble in, like Haley says, with the hashtag boycott Starbucks, right? Like, if Dunkin' Donuts, and I don't know if they have, I have no idea, but if they were to jump onto that, even as a funny, which I don't think they would, knowing the social media team there, Brian, they haven't, have they? No. No, okay. Um, you know, they would have to accept the repercussion and the backlash on that by doing it. So, listen, you can do whatever you want. To answer Jeff's question, my thoughts are this. You can do whatever you want. Just know that whatever you do will have a consequence, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. And if you're one of those kind of like arrogant uh, companies or folks, it's like, yeah, any publicity is great publicity. Then, then you're going to ex get exactly what you want. So, you know, just make sure. And I, someone said this earlier in the comments and I forgot who it was. So I'm sorry, but having a brand voice, knowing your brand voice right at the outset, you know, let's turn this back into marketing and branding for a second, knowing what your voice is, knowing how to handle situations like this, before they even happen is what will make you successful through these situations. Um, you don't want to have to implement a plan like this only when, you know, they're, they're, they come up like, Oh, now like shit hit the fan. Let's go figure out how to handle this social media situation. I mean, like brands should have been paying attention to the political climate a, over a year ago and seeing that like, this is potential. There's a lot of potential here for things to happen let's let's check out what our stance is like what's our company stance what's the company policy what is our uh brand voice in this situation if a brand is out there and they have they weren't looking at this ahead of time and you, you're using an agency you probably should just fire your agency or you should yeah really take a look at who you have working for you because you should have been looking at these things a long long time ago um, this is not the time now to figure it out. Like you should have already had it figured out. Now you're, now you're just playing in the fire and you're, you know, it's all in the moment. And that's why you get these, you know, key of the moment tweets by idiot CEOs, regardless if you're big or small. Um, and no matter what side you're on, like that's why things like this are happening. Cause there was no predetermined brand voice, predetermined protocol. Um, so, so Rob, well, Rob, yeah, and like then chomping at the bit. Uh, so, the, the, you know, the one thing that seems kind of common going even back to you and Savannah talking about farms and, you know, our grandparents, our, our parents and grandparents is context. And that's kind of one of the things that is gone from conversation. Right. So. Farmers used to have conversations at the general store and because there was familiarity and they relied on each other as neighbors, everything that was said was not scrutinized under a microscope. It was seen across a life, you know, a lifetime. So everything was contextual, but that's kind of the consequence of social media is, is that it's a bumper sticker conversation. So, you know, if you don't say the right thing, you're not measured uh, across time and distance. You're, you're measured for exactly what you said for in, you know, that's it's not equitable necessarily always because uh, I hate right. using the word fair, but th that's kind of the problem. What's interesting is, you know, there was another we, we talked earlier about perhaps our parents would have done better on social media uh, than us. And, you know, I, I think 
for sure back then people were generally more polite with each other, although there were tons of atrocities done by our parents. Um, um, so I, I, I think context is the one thing that just can't be replicated in social media, and that's kind of the biggest consequence. And I think the other thing is, you know, we talk about democracy is social media general is fantastically an example of democracy, contrary to our country, which is, a, you know, a constitutional republic where 51 percent doesn't tell the other 49 percent what to do. But in social media, it kind of is like that. And that's kind of an interesting dilemma, right? Because you can get you don't even need 51% in social media. You just need 1%, 2%, and you can get a company to, buck, to buckle or do whatever you want. We have uh, – so, so there was actually a little bit of uh, – a nice little discussion here at the end. We need to end the show. So it's going. this is the last thing we're going to comment on, and that's it here. Uh, Heather Heather uh, Roach had a little bit of a comment towards Savannah and the Chick-fil-A comment. Uh, the Chick-fil-A discussion there. Savannah goes on further to say Chick-fil-A has made both racist and homophobic statements, and they sell more chicken than anyone. They're a good example of a company that has many opinions and still a very healthy bottom line. Now, here's my stance. I, I, actually, I don't even know the exact comments. So, Savannah, if you have the links to make the exact comments, I'd rather leave it. I'd rather leave it to the readers and the, the viewers, if those statements are racist and homophobic, I, I'm sure they are. Like if you're saying, I, I just don't okay. remember exactly what I completely what the, understand your desire for that to be the case. It's not a problem. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I just, I don't know about that. I don't remember anything about the racist stuff. Savannah. I, I mean, I, you know, for sure, obviously it's I really remember OG. It's, so it's, like, it's built into their, yeah, it's, it's old school Chick-fil-A. My, my, uh, so context of why I have an opinion about this. My uncle used to own the most KFC franchises of anyone in the Midwest. He actually opened the first KFC in, in Minneapolis. So, so literally knowing about the chicken business is is uh, a weird family hobby of mine. <laughs> so, so the racist stuff goes way back. And 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 Heather, um, the 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 incident that happened earlier, and I think this is why Heather thinks my statement is ignorant, is uh, there was a very large homophobic out. They uh, Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick Fil A made a, and I'll let you guys decide, but the media said it was a homophobic remark uh, about whatever it was. Well, if the ago. media said it, it must be true, right? Right. So, uh, so that's why <laughs> well, I'm not so, so, go, so, so quote, 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 Kathy's uh, a statement. Hmm? Oh, I thought you were going to uh, quote Kathy's statement. Oh, no, I, I'm, I'm actually trying to get there, to be honest with you, but I was uh, more just clarifying that the, the notion that, um, or where I'm coming with my, my knowledge of Chick-fil-A is, is, is historical. It's not just recent controversy. It's general uh, controversy. Let me, I'll get the quote up here for you guys. Yeah, I mean, I, so, so th- throwing in my two cents, yeah. I, just, I just don't see, I mean, I, I know that the media s- said that, that, that Kathy and thus Chick-fil-A uh, uh, were homophobic, but, you know. Here's the exact the, the words, go ahead. Uh, in 2012, he was on the Ken Coleman show. Kathy said, I think we are, we are inviting God's judgment on our nation. When we shake our fist at him, him capitalized, meaning God God. and say no better than you as to what constitutes marriage. And then Kathy's statement says, I pray God's mercy on our generation that has uh, such a prideful, arrogant attitude to think that we have the audacity to define what marriage is the following month on a show called, uh, or on a a blog or, or magazine, the biblical reporter, 
Uh, Kathy said, we are very much supportive of the family, the biblical definition of the family unit. So the biblical definition for anyone that has ever looked at the Bible does say a man and a woman. So that's what he's there. We are a family owned business, a family led business, and we are married to our first wives. We give God thanks for that. We want to do anything we possibly can to strengthen families. We are very much committed to that. Kathy emphasized. We intended, or we intend to stay the course. Uh, he said, we know that it might not be popular with everyone, but thank the Lord. We live in a country where we can share our values and operate on biblical principles. So that's the comment. I read it word for word. You decide that we're not even, we won't even discuss it here. You, the readers decide how to interpret that. Not for us to tell you how to feel, but that was the comment Savannah was referring to. So I just want to make sure that everyone knows uh, Savannah, you know, was referring to it uh, based on maybe her, her, you know, her views. Right, Savannah? Is that fair enough to say? Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm just saying because not, maybe not everyone feels that way. So I, I just want to put it out there. Totally. But it, it is a perfect example, regardless of how you look at it, exactly. that you take a stance one way or the other, regardless popular opinion is okay and your business your business does still boom because the people that do support that will still flock to you those that don't want to go don't have to go and you know what a lot of people that just don't care will still eat your chicken because it's good period like you know it and that's what it comes down to well and and they did actually i mean and and i agree with you there and i think this is also this really rounds out everything we've been saying the whole time Mm -hmm. is what actually did smooth things over with the whole Chick-fil-A thing on both sides of the fence was they issued a statement saying going forward, our intent is to leave the policy debate over same-sex marriage to the government and the political arena. So they, they essentially, it's not that they redacted it, but they said, we're not going to say stuff like that anymore. So I think that that says a lot about how the experience was. I mean, honestly, I think it was a great PR move for them. And and I, I, again, I hate to say that out loud, but it worked. Um, so anyway, that's that's that situation. I wanted to make sure we did clarify for the end. I, I uh, totally. thank you, Heather, for bringing that up and and kind of checking us, making Absolutely. sure we did clarify. We did have kind of a two sided show here, so for good reason. That was uh, good for us. But if you enjoyed this discussion and you enjoy similar discussions. That's what you'll get every week. Brand Matters, 2 p.m. Eastern, Rob Hicks and myself. We will regularly bring on Savannah Peterson and other guests like Brian Fanzo, Amy Schmitz-Hauer, and those that are uh, really crushing it out there and are in tune with what's going on with brands, with social media, with digital marketing, live video. Uh, We appreciate you for watching, and we will see you next week. On behalf of Aftermark, Enlightened Audiovisual, and Savvy Millennial, I'm Vincenzo Landino. That's Savannah Peterson. Rob Hicks is behind the curtain. He's like the man from Oz, or he's like Oz. I think Dan from Oz. He's Oz. Yeah, anyway, we'll see you on the next one. This has been a VincenzoLandino.com production. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the Brand Boost podcast, please give us a rating, write a review, or subscribe. Head on over to brandboostcast.com forward slash subscribe.